Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Today we are talking about some urban legends, and they're both near railroads. So that's our (laughs) possible weird tie. The first that we're going to talk about is in Pennsylvania, and it's the Green Man, who's also known as Charlie No-Face. Doesn't sound great. No, it doesn't sound great. And over the years, there have been so many varied stories with the Green Man. We're not going to say the Green Man or Charlie No-Face each time. We're just going to say Green Man, partially because I don't like saying Charlie No-Face. It just makes me wildly uncomfortable. (laughs) But what's also interesting about the name Charlie No-Face is that people don't really know where that name came from with this. So an added layer of intrigue. Let's talk about how people report the Green Man looking. They say his skin is a grayish green. He has a disfigured face. In terms of his greenness, it's either that he has that grayish skin or that he that's like greenish or that he glows green and he's a ghost. Oh, so you love him. These feel very different. Yeah, you know, he's my color. Did I almost do the green man and the green lady because there was a gr- there's a green lady that's a separate like ghost story? Ooh. And I was like, mm, no, we'll save her. Maybe we'll do a purple man and a green lady, a.k.a. the origin of Grimace. (laughs) (laughs) All of our show titles are going to be like Fall Out Boy song titles. That's all I want going forward. (laughs) (laughs) The legend of Uh, green green and purple Grimace. Yeah. What's green Grimace? Uncle O'Shaughnessy. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Which also, have you met Grimace's aunts? I saw on our story the other day and I died. I was laughing so hard. I was like, all Grimace content is true creeps content. And I will never change for that. Because I think I, I'll just never stop being intrigued by Grimace. <laughs> and I sent it to Mike too. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, so grayish green skin or a glowing green ghost. In either version of this, where the eyes would be, there's black pits. And also where his nose would be is like darker. Terrifying. And then he said to like drag his feet along the road as he makes his way. What's interesting is like that's the general kind of vibe of what people say about him. And then when it comes to what he does, right, because the mysterious person, creature, figure, entity always does some stuff. Here's what we've got. Of course. The first is that your car won't start if you turn your car off and sit your keys on the bridge for a few minutes. And immediately under this, when we were taking notes, I wrote like, I wrote, LOL, how do you even find this out for the first time? I don't know. Who's like, you know what? We should give a go. We're going to stop. We're going to park. We're going to sit our keys in the ground for six minutes. Let's see what happens. What a weird thing to do. Yeah, you don't deserve your car to start at that point. It is a weird thing to do. (laughs) So there's also that if you show up in this particular area and you park and you wait, he may come up to your car. I don't want anything coming up to my car. Never. Never, ever. Also, if you call his name three times or flash your headlights three times, he will come and chase you off, which very much has Bloody Mary vibes. Anytime you're like, say the name three times. Mm hmm. I don't know who's saying it like that, but somebody is. Of course. And so I feel like with any scary boogeyman, 
parents are telling their kids, like, if you go out at night without us, then you might come across the green man, but like no specific threats. Yes. AKA don't sneak out, stay home. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Others said that if he touched your car, he would send an electrical current through it and then it would make the car either malfunction or just not start. Another thing that people have reported seeing is that he would like take a drag of a cigarette and then he would blow the smoke out of his cheek hole, which is not a, another name for the one's mouth. It's like a hole in your cheek. Oh. That gives me the ick. There's also a tunnel in this area that's been dubbed the Green Man Tunnel. And it's an old railway tunnel. When you look at pictures of it, it just looks like a tunnel. And there's a bunch of rock salt that's stored there now that's used for de-icing roads. But, like, it does make me think, what is it about a tunnel or a bridge that makes people go, ooh, spooky, like, automatically? They're creepy. Like, do you have any large bridges that have, like, a walking tunnel underneath near you? Yeah. But we also have the Harbor Tunnel, which is, like, mile, like, a mile long. I grew up driving through that tunnel. But do you walk under it? You drive through it. Do you have any walking tunnels? No. You drive through it. Yeah. And I've walked through them. They're spooky because they're dark, but I think it's just because they're dark and they echo funny. They're dark? I mean, the one near here. Yeah. They echo funny. There's always like weird graffiti no matter where you are, right? Yeah. And then also ours had a rattlesnake in it. So now we call it the rattlesnake tunnel. There you go. But it also makes me think (laughs) of the bunny man. It does. Yeah. Which, if you haven't listened to the episode, that is one of my favorite urban legend episodes that we've done. So when people are talking about, like, what he looks like, there's not specific stories other than what we've already kind of talked about where, like, he will show up and chase you off. It's kind of like this very, like, nebulous, like, this is what people have said versus people's firsthand accounts of this, like, scary apparition or being, right? It's these kind of my cousin's brother's best friend said he saw XYZ. Those kinds of things are what we're seeing, what we're hearing about. When we talk about haunted places, for the most part, we often have specific people being like, I saw this thing and like a description of it, especially when it's an urban legend like this, where it's in a particular geographic area. There's people who live around there and there's generations that have come into contact with this ghost or what have you. Yeah. Or being or entity or whatever. And so the origin of the green man varies. People have said that the green man was a factory worker who was disfigured when he fell into a vat of acid, which feels very like Joker style, if you will. Mm -hmm. That he was struck by lightning. That's very different. That he was a power company employee who was electrocuted when he was climbing a utility pole. I'm trying not to laugh again. It's in the outro, but I wrote boy for one of the words there, and it made it a really different meaning. So another is that he was electrocuted while trying to retrieve a kite from a tree or when he was taking a look at a bird's nest. It's really random. And the last one is, is that he was green from a radioactive accident. I like that one. He's like the Ninja Turtles. Some of them have like very comic book vibes, and I kind of like that. Yes. And so one of the things that seems strange to us again, was how vague the details were here. And so often when we're like hearing about an urban legend, there's names that are associated with that person or there's pseudo facts and like the kind of history that evolves around it. Like it's a little bit more particular. I use the bunny man as an example because that was like a localized legend that was particular to a certain area. And there was like a common theme of like, yeah, he was an escaped murderer who did X, Y, Z. And here we're like, he is a person who something bad happened to them, and he may or may not do some of this weird stuff. 
And the only thing that is consistent through these stories really is where this is occurring. And this is right near Beaver Falls in Pennsylvania. Even that fact alone is enough for an urban legend to persevere through generations and to spread in a a smaller area. It's kind of thought of as like the localization of a legend. This gets people who live near the legend setting to be more likely to believe that story because they know that place and they can picture it. And we'll get into an example of this because I know somebody who's been in this area. Yeah. When you are telling an urban legend and you know that place, if somebody explained a place that you knew and was like, let me tell you about it, you'd be like, oh, I can picture that there. Like, oh, I know that tunnel looks really creepy. Oh, those woods get weird at night. Yeah. Okay. And urban legends without specific localization can be considered in multiple locations because the story doesn't hinge in a particular location. So sometimes you'll hear comparable stories that happen in multiple places. If you think of the hook urban legend... We haven't really nailed down where that's from, right? So you hear that at different types of lovers' lanes places. So it's interesting that the opposite can be true when the location is not a central part of the story. Yeah. That it can also help it persevere through time, which is interesting. Yeah. So moving on, let's talk about Thomas White. Thomas White wrote Haunted Roads of Western Pennsylvania. He's also a history professor and an archivist at Duquesne University. He researched the green man and figured out the actual history behind who people were reporting seeing. Wild. Right. I love when we can pinpoint where a legend starts. And it is a lot of the time kind of sad that it evolves into something so different when it was just, yeah, you know, what we're going to talk about. So what people actually were seeing was Raymond Robinson. And Raymond Robinson was born on October 29th of 1910. And he was just a kid when he and his friends were heading to go swimming in Beaver Falls on June 18th of 1919. As they were walking, they came across a bridge with the longest name I've ever seen. It was the Pittsburgh Harmony Butler and Newcastle Railway Company's bridge. And that spanned Wallace Run. As a note, the bridge has since been torn down and replaced by a highway bridge. Because railroads are not popular. Probably because no one knew what the hell you were talking about because the name was 37 different names. Specifically, the railroad bridge was replaced by Route 18 Highway Bridge, and that connected Beaver Falls and Big Beaver. So one of his friends dared him to climb to the top of the railroad trestle and see how many eggs were in a bird's nest. Interesting, because we also talked about railroad trestles in the Popelik Monster episode, a.k.a. Popelik Goatman. So... Okay, we're reading through this. We're like, railway, that means it's trains. No, we're talking trolleys. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I just had railroad in my head all day long. Trains on the mind. No, baby, we're talking trolleys. Because they're important and people care about them. (laughs) I feel like trolleys are the the whimsical version of a train. Like it's quirky little sister. But anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about some particulars about how trolleys work. I promise it will make sense. She just loves trolley science. Fucking love trolley science. So when this particular rail line was running, it was known as the Harmony Line because of its daily service from Elward City to Beaver Falls. The trolleys ran on 1,200 volts. And when the Elwood City Line opened, it had a main transmission line that carried 22,000 volts. So I'm just going to say it. Electric as fuck. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to assume you listener person, you, are not a train-slash-trolley electricity scientist. And if you are, I we need to know, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, if this is, like, what you fucking know, first off, 
I'm doing my best here. I'm doing my fucking best. I can't tell you how many trolley videos I watched. Oh, yeah. This was a fun week. I'm like zooming in on the fucking photos. Like, do they have do they have a third rail or is it an overhead line? Like trying to figure out what kind of electricity it is. And I'm like, oh, no, the timing makes sense. Did you turn into a newsie? Yes. Oh, oh, wait, because there's a dialogue that we're going to get to later on that is full on fucking newsy child. We'll get there, but we'll get there. So, OK, I'm going to put on my trolley electricity scientist hat, which, in fact, is a conductor's hat. OK. Are you picturing it? OK. Yes. There are two ways that trains and trolleys were electrified in the early 1900s. So one is the third rail, which is a literal third rail that runs along the track. And it's a complicated mechanism. And we're not talking about it today. So I'm not going to explain it. And also, I can't. (laughs) So (laughs) in the pictures, you can see that there's overhead lines. And so we're going to assume that this was what they were using because timing and seeing power lines above the train tracks... It makes us think it was overhead lines. I've never given much thought to how trains worked and how they chugged along. I know that a while ago there was steam power and then like coal and shit. I don't understand. I didn't know. All I see is like what was in movies. They're like shoveling coal into things. Because you don't care about the railroad. No concept of what's happening because I don't care about the railroad apparently. So we're looking at this and I'm like, I don't understand how what is going to happen could happen because it doesn't really make sense because I don't understand it. And so I was like, to understand what happens, you need to understand how it could happen. So the mechanism of what exists for this particular railroad, for this trolley system, you've got the the railroad itself. So there's two metal things going down. That's where the trolley rides along, right? And above it, there are overhead lines. But so above it, it's not like it's just one wire that runs the span of this mile-long railroad. It's a system of wires called a catenary system. And the idea is that it helps maintain a consistent height as the train moves because there's a piece on the top of the train that needs to come in contact with the wire. So it's not just like a a power line like you would see in your neighborhood. Yeah. It looks a little bit different. One of the wires that's part of the catenary system is called the contact wire. And that's because, surprise, surprise, the contact wire is in contact with the pantograph, which is on the top of the train. And so as the train moves along, the contact wire is touching the pantograph and it's transferring electricity into the train. So it's continuous. And it means that that is basically like a live wire, because if it's transferring it to that, it means it has to be open electricity, if you will. Right. So now that Lindsay, our trolley train scientist... Has explained that to us. Let's get back to our story. A local newspaper, the Beaver Falls Evening Tribune, (laughs) of course. Also, a long fucking name. It is, yeah. (laughs) BFET. I was like trying to see if there's anything fun with that. There's not. So they had a recreation of the conversation between the boys that they ran the next day. And from what we understand, this is where they got the intel about Raymond going up the trestle to look at the bird's nest and where it came from. So here is the conversation from our very own Newsy. Okay, so Raymond. Who will see how many birds are in that nest? Another kid. Amanda can't even look at me. Not me. For there are electrical wires up there, and a little fellow was nearly killed up there six months ago. Yeah, a kid said that. Okay, keep going. Obviously. And then Raymond. Well, I will find out. (laughs) If your child, Amanda, came up to you and said, a little fellow, and then literally anything else... Are you a little bit concerned? I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, he's possessed. 
I don't know. Is he possessed by a 1919 child or an old woman? I don't know. I don't know. Is this how children spoke then? A little fellow. That creeps me the fuck out. I don't think so. It does. It really, really does. I imagine him wearing a little hat too. I don't know. I mean, they have, well, I mean, even though they're going swimming, they have newsy hats and they are selling newspapers on the way. <laughs> yeah. A little overalls. It's the right timing. I think a little overalls. They're, they're swimming overalls. That doesn't sound like a nightmare at fucking all. <laughs> I didn't see anything that said that this was from the other boys who were there with him. I imagine that this is 1919 adults writing what the conversation between children was, and they had no clue. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, I bet this is what happened. Perhaps by a writer who's never met a child. Exactly. I was just <laughs> going to say that. Yeah. One that's never had any words with a child before. Or perhaps even seen one. Like, they're like, they're just small <laughs> men, right? It makes me think of those paintings of cats where it's like the person to the painter, like, you've seen a cat. And the artist is like, oh, yeah. And then you see this like... <laughs> Fucked up creature. This fucked up creature that looks like the modern day movie cat's faces, where it's just too human and too centered in the face. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened here. Yeah. I mean, it's good that they knew that there was dangerous. I think that that's very interesting that in this newspaper article, that's the next day, they're basically like pointing out that none of the kids should have got up there. And it seems like perhaps not the best timing to say that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. As a note, the other boy who we're talking about was Robert or Howard Little, who died from electrocution in the same spot nine months prior. It's really sad. Yeah. Sources disagree on his first name, but Robert or Howard was just 11 when he died. So it's sad that essentially like this is happening twice. Kids getting hurt. Yeah. So after this conversation, Raymond climbed the trestle. And while he was doing this, he accidentally grabbed a power line that was running near him. Remember, this isn't a power line that has any like coating around it. This line is specifically designed to carry a current to the train. So of course, he was badly electrocuted. He luckily survived despite many thinking that he was going to die, but still like badly injured. Oh, yeah. I mean, and when we're talking about injuries that he sustained, he burned off most of the hair on his head. His arm was burned off at his elbow. So part of his arm was amputated. Both his eyes and his nose were burned away. That's so scary. His lips, ears, and upper torso were also significantly scarred. This would be incredibly painful for anyone, but the idea that this was a child is oh yeah, so fucking heartbreaking. His eyes were burned out? His nose burned off? I didn't even know those were things you could survive. I didn't know that that would happen from electrocution. No. We tried to find out at what temperature a human eye would melt. There's a shockingly little amount of relevant results when you Google temperature to melt eyes. And so I moved on to temperature to cremate a body. So I'm like definitely on some lists now from these Google searches. But when you're cremating a body, it has to be between 14 and 1600 degrees Fahrenheit, which tells me that that's what you would need to burn off like organs, skin, things like that. And so it's just wild to me that it parts of him got hot enough to fully melt these portions of his face off. So Ray was rushed to the Providence Hospital in Beaver Falls, and he also spent time in hospitals in Pittsburgh as well. He had lots of surgeries. None of them did much to improve his scarring. And I'd also point out, we're again at this point, 1919, 1920s. There's not a lot they can do plastic surgery wise. Even today, this would be an incredibly difficult plastic surgery case. Oh, yeah. 
in that time period, I can't even imagine what he was going through. You would think that that is not a thing that could happen, that your body could tolerate that to happen, especially a kid, especially a kid. But there's photos of him that exist and it almost looks as though it's blurred. And at least one of the photos, there's people in the photo with him. So you can see that there's not something wrong with the photo itself. It's that it's showing what had happened and what would he look like as an older person with these scars. And you can see that there is a hole where his nose is and that his eyes are basically like concave flesh in those sections. Yeah, it's sad. The amount of pain that he must have must have lived through was just it just hurts my heart, especially knowing that he was just a little kid. So it took about a month before he began to improve. And I just want to point out, I mean, we're talking about how terrible this is. But I want to point out how miraculous this is, because today, nine out of 10 people who come into contact with these electrified overhead lines die. That's crazy. Like, that's today's world. And he survived in 1919 with 1919 medicine. Yeah. We've talked about that before, the medicine then, too. So when he came home from the hospital, he was really worried that people would show up at his home because so many newspapers were reporting about the story because it was interesting news, right? And so he was like, I hope people don't come because he didn't want people to see him. Poor baby. I know. And he was just nine. So let's talk a little bit about Raymond. Ray lived with his family in Copal, and he was born in Beaver County to Robert and Louise Robinson. Robert unfortunately died when Ray was just seven, so a little bit before this. Louise married Robert's brother, who was a widower, and his name was Oren. Between Oren and Louise, there were seven children. So after he began to recover, the Daily Times reported that, quote, yet, in spite of all of his affliction, the boy is in good humor. Poor little guy still. He's like gone through, I don't know, one of the most horrific accidents a child could ever fucking suffer. And but he's like cool about it. He's still a cool little dude. I'm getting emotional. Yeah. And Ray's nephew later said that he kept good humor for the rest of his life. So Ray often walked around the woods and he would wear a prosthetic nose that was connected with glasses. So he also learned Braille. And as an adult, Ray lived with his family and made his living making doormats, belts and wallets. So that that's pretty cool that he was able to do that like as a living craft. Yeah. Anytime someone can be a maker as they're living, I'm like, yeah, that's what's up. Yeah, right. So he also tried to help with chores and he'd use a manual lawnmower to help mow things like the front lawn. He also loved listening to the radio and he would listen for hours a day. And by the 1950s, Ray was taking his walks later in the evening, around 10 p.m., which is a little late. And he would walk around Copal New Galley Road near the mines. And according to his nephew, Ray began taking the route after the coal company obliterated their walking path behind his home. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Like something that he was used to and just now it's gone. Yeah. So he would routinely come home after midnight, which really stressed his mother and stepfather out, which makes sense. Like that's late. Yeah. And it's also before time of cell phones. So they're just like, hope he comes home. Yeah. He's out there. Yeah. I mean, like there's no sleeping occurring till he's home, I'm sure. Right. And obviously, to to reiterate, he was blind. Mm -hmm. So to ensure that he didn't accidentally walk into the street, he would keep one foot on the edge of the road and one in the gravel. I think that's interesting because we talked about how he dragged his feet. And it could be that he was like walking on two different types of roads. Imagine if you're walking on two different types of things, right? Like your feet dragging in a different way. Yeah. It's going to feel weird. So once word started getting around, people started parking along that road 
to see the infamous Green Man. Sometimes they would bring him beer or cigarettes. And interestingly, in Ray's home, no one drank alcohol. So his mother and stepfather were not happy that people were giving him beer. Plus, sometimes he would drink it on the way home and he'd get lost. That's terrifying. Like, yes, it's late at night. He's drinking and lost in the middle of some random road. I mean, like the upside is, is that he knows that area. That's the upside, but still. But like he could get turned around easily, especially drinking. Like already he could, but adding. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So they found him near the roadside one morning and in the middle of a farm field on another occasion. So he was like super getting lost sometimes. But interestingly, there were many instances where over a 100 cars worth of people had come to see him. Theoretically, right? He's walking down the road and then back home. And people are seeing him or not seeing him just based on like when they get there and where he is on his walk. Yeah. And so he becomes this legend simply for taking a walk up and down the road. Yeah, he's not doing anything weird. He's just existing. He's simply walking up the road, down the road, someplace and back. And he happens to just run into people as he's going. People are like, if you wait there long enough, he'll show up. But it's like, yeah, he's walking home, my dude. Right. And so some people were assholes. As usual. There were times when Ray got beaten up. There were also instances where people would talk him into getting into their car like, oh, we'll give you a ride home or like seeing if you want to hang out. And then they would drive him somewhere and leave him there. So he'd be stranded. Fuck people. Yeah. And then even more disgustingly, there were people who had purposely hit him with their cars. So as disgusting as that is, not everyone was an asshole. So we talked about these like sometimes 100 cars worth of people, but it wasn't always people who had never been there. They were people who, once they interacted with him, they realized that this infamous green man was just Ray. He was just a guy who was lonely and wanted some friends. And so, like, he talked to people and he would interact with people because he was just being friendly. And because people were there. Why not? Right? He's, like, not going out during the day much. These are people who want to talk to him. And so... He makes friends with people. And one example of this is a man named Jim Tripodi. He would go to Coppola New Galley Road with his friends in the 1960s after he had heard the legends. And when they got there, they realized again, he was just this real person. And they befriended him and they went back over and over again just to hang out with him. That's nice. Those reports of him not coming home until after midnight, I'm sure at least some of those occasions are him just hanging out with people and have having made friends. Yeah. And it's, I just, I like, it does make me like a little emotional of like, you go to see this, like this urban legend, this spooky thing, you get there and you realize it's this nice human. Yeah. And so then you befriend this urban legend. It's just, you know, just Ray taking a walk, living his life. Jim is not the only story of this. There's similar stories of people who befriended him, like Joe Nardone, John Zaroski, and John Marsanak. And so Ray walked Koppel Galilee, like up and down it nightly around 10 p.m. for three decades and that's a long time it's a long time and he died in 1985 so he lived a very long life yeah and i find it lovely that it wasn't just like he became this urban legend like people befriended him yeah that's sweet yeah one of the things that i find fascinating about this urban legend is that here we are we're nearly 40 years after ray's death and people are still talking about the green man slash Charlie No Face. And there's continued reports of seeing him and interacting with him. And some people suggest that it's his ghost. It could also just be that some people never met Ray. 
right? So they just saw this guy walk. They saw like the apparition, the the legend walking, never interacted with him, didn't know who they were seeing, and they passed the story down generations. So it persisted despite it just was a guy. Yeah. Despite this legend just being this guy who's living his life. There's even a movie about Ray slash the Green Man that's been in production for quite a bit. It started in 2008 and it's been on hold because of recessions and problems with that. But the rights are owned by Trisha York and she's it's the movie will be called Route 351 if it's made. But it sounds like I mean, I would 10 out of 10 watch that. Oh, yeah. Such a fascinating story. Well, I love when we can find where the story originated, like the real story. Yes. And this one is like a tangible story because sometimes we're like, it could be this. It could be this. This like hits every note. Yeah. So earlier I talked about knowing someone who'd heard about this legend. And it's actually my coworker, Colleen. She's my work bestie. And she's from Pittsburgh. She actually learned to drive in New Beaver, which I thought was cute. Oh, did you ask her why they're obsessed with beavers there? I didn't. I didn't. So I was talking to her and I was like, hey, we're doing an episode on the green man slash Charlie No Face. Have you ever heard of him? She was like, yes. Like immediately, like not, it was barely out of my mouth when, but she said yes. And she's like, that is like one of the most common campfire stories. And she didn't know he was based on a real person. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's people who like are from this area who know the story, who do not know about Ray. And she said that her mother had even reported seeing him. And I was like, oh, when was your mother born? And she's like, 1947. And I was like, okay, well, those time periods line up. If she went to Koppel New Galilee Road, she could have seen him. And she was like, no. (laughs) It was over an hour away where she said she saw him. Oh. So she very much doesn't think she did. But it's just interesting that this urban legend of kind of like the – the greenish man, the eerie glow, the pits for eyes, right? Like that kind of like boogeyman that existed, it moved out. So it wasn't just in like Beaver Falls and New Beaver. It was it was further out in Pennsylvania. And people told these stories and reported seeing him in places where he never would have been or would have been very unlikely for him to have been there. And because I asked her, I was like, oh, well, why do you think? She's like, the story was just so widespread. I think that she saw something and was like, must be this. Yeah gotta be him right like just like we just talked about in chupacabra and like we talked about in jersey devil that sometimes people lump their sightings into things that they have already heard exist exactly yeah but i just thought that was so interesting i was like ooh, right so fascinating it is yeah well it's good that he lived like a good life yeah it's interesting that his story turned into that you know like when, when you say, like, glowing green skin, I just think, like, an alien or something like that. And no, it was just this poor guy taking his walk. And I've also seen in very, very seldom reports that he was wearing a green jacket. And that it could be that, like, headlight reflections, it looks like it's glowing. Exactly. I was just going to say that. And also, like, if one was blind, walking at night in the dark theoretically they would wear something that was like as close to reflective as it could i'm not gonna act like i know fabric science from the early 1900s but i would imagine that like any version of they had of that would look like a little strange and like would probably have like a glowy effect if hit by headlights yeah and there's so many things that can make things look green when they're not yes yes and so and even like if he's wearing that jacket like it looks kind of like his skin's that color because okay even when my hair isn't dying my actual skin green my (laughs) neck will sometimes look green because it's the light reflecting off of it yeah 
So I could see how that could absolutely happen. And when you mix it with the scarring that he had as a result of his accident, you get this urban legend because people don't understand what they're seeing. No, and we've seen that a lot with a, a lot of the other urban legends, too, where one small thing gets manipulated into like 10 different characteristics. Yeah. Where the characteristics are changing every time people see him. So just interesting. Yes. Well, we're going to move on. And we have a whole other urban legend for you. And that is the Gurdon Lights. There's a mysterious light that moves around about four miles of the Missouri Pacific Railroad in Arkansas. The light has been described as bluish white or yellow white. Very different. And sometimes reddish orange. So just a light of any color, it seems. And it's seen right outside the railroad tracks in the area. It's described as having the same shape as a rugby ball. First off, love that they're saying a rugby ball rather than a football because they are comparable in shape. Footballs are a little bit more pointy at the end, but I love that being married to Ben, who is all rugby all the time. But it reminds me of the lights we talked about in the Bridgewater Triangle, but those were much smaller. But interestingly, also described in like sports terms like they were like they're the size of a baseball we only accept 12 year old boy measurement imagine listening and only hearing this part and being like what the fuck are you talking about the fish was as big as a 12 year old boy that's what we're talking about okay helpful (laughs) it is very helpful okay that's how you measure fish yeah (laughs) so locals call the area ghost light bluffs i love that the light bobs along the horizon and it's like three to four feet off the tracks and the light isn't stationary either So you can't, like, go and catch it. Sometimes it'll disappear in front of you and then pop up again right behind you. Seems like it's fucking with people. Yeah, it's, like, mischievous. (laughs) And the light has been seen by many tourists. It's been photographed and recorded on video, even. It's on an Unsolved Mysteries episode in 1994. Some describe the movement of the light being similar to the movement of a lit lantern being carried. So, like, someone walking with it, which is a little creepy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, swaying back and forth. Most locals can give you directions on how to exactly get there to see the lights. And it can't be seen from a distance. So it's not, you know, something that you can see from the highway. Like you actually have to go to where these lights appear. And speaking of which, it's not an easy place to get to. And it's like two and a half miles of a hike to get to where this light is seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, usually at night too. So trying to like hike to find these lights seems a little sketchy. Right. And also, I don't know if I would be like, hello, stranger. Can you tell me how to get to this place? And they're like, oh, just go two and a half miles into the woods. (laughs) You're like, sure. Right. It seems terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of like, you know, we were just talking about how it's a creepy hike up to see the light. You'll also pass two train trestles on the way. And the light first appeared in the 1930s. So that's kind of odd because when you think of like today, there's so many different color lights that can appear anywhere. People have them on cars. People carry them like, you know, LED lights everywhere. Yeah. But in the 30s, not so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some visitors to the area report seeing things other than lights as well. Unfortunately, we couldn't find much on that, though. It was just like other things. No, just like anything creepy, like on their way up that weird hike. Which I mean, you're walking two and a half miles into the woods. Yeah. You're telling me there's not a cryptid or seven in there? Or seven. Yes. There's not like a like a Yeti with like voluminous hair. I hope so. There's not a Yeti like brushing their hair. Brushing their hair, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> so many brushes. Or on fire. Sorry. 
Oh, a fire yeti. Poor man is just trying to talk, and I'm like, what could be in the woods? <laughs> so let's talk about the theories as to what the lights might be. The first one is a railroad worker whose name is unknown, and what they believe is that he was decapitated by a train after he accidentally fell on the road tracks, and his head was never found. In the theory, the Gurdon lights are the light from his lantern. And interestingly, it was pretty common for workers to be injured. So it is kind of possible that this happened. However, there are no historical records of this particular accident, which is probably a good thing, right? Like we don't want anyone to die in this horrific way. Yeah, but it doesn't really explain the lights. But I, I do like the theory of, you know, it's a ghost with a lantern, though. I do like that. I do, too. So another theory is that some think that the lights are just lights from the highway being reflected from the highway. However, this isn't really likely because there are accounts of the lights long before the highway even existed there. So it's not really possible for that, you know, if it happened before. Also, I want to add scientists have concluded that it couldn't be the highway lights. A former graduate student at Henderson State University researched the lights and their conclusions on this theory were published in a 1980s Arkansas Gazette. And they said, quote, the nearest interstate to the tracks is about four miles away and a large hill stands between the tracks and the interstate. If the light was caused by passing headlights, it would have to be refracted up and over the hill to be visible from the other side. So it's not even possible at all. Scientists have also noted that the presence of lights on the highway do not coincide with the movement and appearance of the light that people are seeing. So that one I feel like we could just like throw out. Another theory is that people think that the lights are from swamp gas. Dr. Charles Lemming was the leading researcher on the Gurdon lights before he passed. And he was a professor of physics at Henderson State University and had his students experiment with the lights, which I love. We're like, let's figure this out. Yeah. In one experiment, they found that the lights never polarized. Apparently, if the lights were refractions from the highway, it would have polarized. Light science. I wouldn't have thought of that. Light science. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So that it couldn't be swamp gas either. He also noted that the light is consistent throughout different atmospheric conditions and that there were no electromagnetic currents that could be read. So ultimately, it couldn't be swamp gas either. Okay, okay. So we're ruling things out. So this next theory I find fascinating. Some people think that this is a piezoelectric effect and that this is what's creating the lights because they're thinking that there's quartz crystals beneath Gurdon. Mm -hmm. And that in addition to these quartz crystals, there's also the Madrid fault, which think like seismic, right? For when you're thinking faults, think earthquakes and like plates and shit, right? So yes, plates and shit. <laughs> plates and shit, man. Earthquake scientists. No, I'm not. But so <laughs> the Madrid fault is the reason why there's intense pressure for these quartz crystals. And the pressure that's created is so intense that it is creating an electric charge that makes a spark. Oh. And that what we are seeing is that spark. Interesting. Interesting. I do like that it's sciencey and it feels like a correct thing. Yeah. But I was like Googling around. And when you look up piezoelectric like spark effect or anything like that, like you don't see photos of what it looks like. So to me, it is like a scientific theory theory. Like in theory, it could create this light. But why would it be different colors? Why would it show up in front of you and behind you? Yeah, that's weird. Right? Or why would it seem to appear along an area? But 
that's that wide. Like, it would be longer. Right. But anywho. Okay. This is my favorite of the theories because it's the spookiest. Okay. In 1931, William McLean, who was a railroad foreman for the Missouri Pacific Railroad, fired one of his workers, and his name was Patrick McBride. Accounts vary on why exactly he fired McBride. Some people think it was because McBride caused a derailment because he sabotaged a section of the track. Others say that McBride requested more hours. <laughs> In a different theory, people say that McLean accused McBride of causing a train accident that had happened a few days before the altercation that we're going to talk about in a second, and that he was offended that he even like suggested it. And in yet another motivation for him to fire him, he was laid off. And that what happens next happens because McBride was angry because he didn't get seniority rights when people were being laid off. So like, he wasn't the last one in. So why was he fired? Right? Like they were just laying people off. Yeah. So on December 4th of 1941, McLean's wife told the city marshal that she hadn't seen her husband. And it was pretty weird for him. So on December 4th of 1931, McLean's wife told the city marshal that her husband didn't come home the night before. And this was pretty weird for him. She asked around town to people who she knew, and no one had heard from him, had seen him, had seen him come home, or like seen him on his way home. Yeah. And the marshal started asking around as well. And one of the people who he came across was Patrick McBride. And he notes that he starts acting kind of strange but definitely suspicious. So he asks him to come down to the station and he questions him and McBride confesses to murdering McLean. Specifically, McBride confesses to beating McLean to death with a railroad spike. Yikes. Yeah. And so some tellings of like the murder scene itself and like the altercation say that McLean never dropped his lantern during the attack. Ooh. Keep that in mind. So when investigators arrived on the scene, they found a trail of blood that was almost a quarter mile long along the railroad. So it was clear that he had that there was a struggle. He had tried to get away. And there were even signs of so where right around where McLean's body was found, there were more signs of a struggle. And it was also clear that McBride had left McLean for dead. And then McLean tried to crawl away to see if he could get help or what have you. It was very clear that he had been bludgeoned to death by the railroad spike, which was found nearby. McBride was ultimately convicted of murder and sentenced to death, and he was executed on July 8th of 1932 via electrocution. Oof. And it's shortly after this that the Gurdon lights were seen for the very first time. And it's believed the Gurdon lights are actually the light from McLean's lantern. That's spooky. Ooh, isn't that spooky? I get chills. Yeah, that gives me chills. Yeah. Who? Who? That's weird. Like, it lines up and... Yes. I mean, and... A ghost kind of appearing in front of you and then behind you, like in my head, I know scientifically no, but that makes sense. It would also, though, I think what's interesting is that it would also make sense that it's around this time that people are in that area at night in a different way mm -hmm. and that perhaps they're just able to witness them and they were there before then. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Question, question. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so many theories. Yeah. So what do you think the grid and lights are? Oh, I, I'm going to go with something supernatural. I don't know whether it's a lantern light, but it's something supernatural, something that we don't have an explanation for yet, because none of the scientific explanations lined up. Okay, I like that. Yeah, science ruled it all out. Yeah, science like, mm, I don't think so. No, it's not in our party. Yeah, and well, like the piezoelectric, which I do like saying that effect. <laughs> 
doesn't convince me because I can't see what those lights look like. Mm-hmm. And do they look like floating balls of lights or is it look like a spark? Right. Because a spark's very different than a floating thing of light. It is. Ooh, that's weird. Yeah. What do you think? I think paranormal. I think it's something weird that we can't explain. Mm-hmm. And honestly, because I like paranormal stuff more than. Yeah. Fair. It's reflections of something, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And science said no, it doesn't belong in their party. So it has to be in the paranormal party. Yeah. <laughs> but as always, we want to know what you think. So tell us, what do you think the grid and lights are? Have you seen them? Have you talked to anyone who claims to have seen them? We want to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also, we want to know anyone else that's heard of the Green Man or Charlie No-Face legend as well. Yeah. And if you knew about Ray. Yeah. Did you know that it was actually a person? Just a person going on his evening stroll. Yeah. Well, we only have one more episode after this for this year. Wild. It's crazy. It went by so fast. We've had a really fun year. And we appreciate everyone who entered our contest, Mm -hmm. who's left us reviews, who have given us creepy stories. We loved all of them. And just people that share us, too. I love when we appear in someone's story and we get that tag. Yes. Makes my day. So thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. If you haven't already left a review and you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, yeah, take a quick screenshot of your review and send it to us because we want to send you a sticker as a thank you. Yes. Yes. And like I said, one more episode. So one more episode, but we'll be back in January. So we're not going away too, too long. What a year. What a year. It went by so quickly. I know. Well, with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) Yes, that he was a power company employee who was electrocuted when he was climbing a utility. (laughs) Uh, We're laughing because I wrote... In our outline, because he was climbing a utility boy. I don't know what I was trying to write. It must have been Paul. I don't know why it says boy. Boys on the mind. (laughs) Oh, boys. Uh, I have to re-say that. Give me a second. Okay. It only makes me think of the movie with no face, the like ghost. She's looking at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) Not a single clue what she's talking about. Because we care about the railroad, Lindsay. Remember? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. We in the last episode, we talked about how we don't care about railroads and that no one cares about railroads. And now we're wrong. Apparently, you love the railroad and you lied. (gasps) Shit. Everyone is (laughs) on to me. They know that I'm a conspiracy i I was gonna say railroad girl but that just doesn't sound right i just took a drink of my water i I almost died that sounds like it means something else that
That has to mean something else, right? <laughs> like, I don't know what, and I'm not going to Google it right now, but I'm sure it does. It, it probably does. Yeah, don't Google that. <laughs> this is a, your, your Googles are already uh, kind of fucked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, like, we're literally like less than a minute in and we've already got end of the show shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a time. Anywho, so we're talking about two different urban legends. The Pittsburgh Harmony Butler and Newcastle <laughs> Railway Company's Bridge. Oh, my God. You can't laugh at that. Why is that so long? That's the dumbest thing ever. That's the dumbest name ever. Not not Cottage, Cottage Hotel. Hotel. This is the no, dumbest name ever. Dumb. Okay. Tiny House Inn. And his net. I know. Big Beaver. I am immature. These names. <laughs> yeah. Also, in my head, I go, Big Beaver. I don't know why. Like, that's how I, I read it. Big Beaver. Okay. Okay. I'm just like, a lot of a lot of beaver stuff here. <laughs> Heavy B. It's a lot of beavers happening. <laughs> you just instantly can stop. I know. I can just stop. You're welcome. The giggles. I can't. Okay. <laughs> that's going to be fun to edit. I'm so sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Who will see how many birds are in that nest? So he had cousin siblings. Cousin siblings. Yes. Which is like not incestuous, but it's just like, it's weird. Can I tell you, like, Unsolved Mystery is just like the theme, his voice, like, to this day gives me the fucking creeps. Same. I was going to say that too. It's just like something I'm like, like, I'm immediately completely unsettled. And even as a child, I'm being very scared of it. And I don't know if it was the content of the show or just that guy. That's an Unsolved (laughs) Mystery. Why it scared me so much. But what I was going to say is, so, okay, I have, I don't know, smart TVs in my house, right? We don't have cable. So when you turn it on, it's like on some like channel that's a Samsung channel. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but there's like show specific channels. Like there's a Gordon Ramsay channel. Okay. There's also a 70s music video channel, which in case you didn't know, what a fucking ride they are. <laughs> what a fucking time. But anyway. There is an Unsolved Mysteries channel, and somehow I accidentally got it on that, and I would panic and turn it off, but then I would just turn it back on, and then it was there again, and I kept freaking myself out. That's fair. I think it was just because it was on, like, at our bedtime. Mm. Like, I remember trying to fall asleep, like, after, like, I don't know, The Simpsons or something, and then it would be like, can you solve this mystery? And I'm like, no, I can't. They're probably in my backyard right now, ready to kill me, too. Yeah, yeah. But, oh my gosh, uh, for another episode we've been researching, I was watching an Unsolved Mysteries earlier. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, this still stresses me out. The reboot is good, but it doesn't have the same, like, wrong in my bones kind of feeling. That's true. That's true. Oh, no, it was old school. Who will see how many birds are in that nest? 